greetings, this special service this evening, to this special service. I know that you in the back don't get the benefit of what we get here in the front of the singing. This is not a very acoustic place, but it is definitely better in the front than you's experience in the back. This was a blessing tonight. I thought for a while, are we going to get revival here? <laughs> a blessing. Sing about the blood of Jesus and his boundless love. But I trust that this evening can be can be a refreshment for each one of us. That is what this special services are for. God has ordained them. This uh, the supper, the memorial, for our benefit. We we see it as a memorial. We don't see any. There's no saving power. There's no particular real, what you call, what you call grace, not a grace, and yet it, it has, it has for the heart that's looking to the Lord Jesus, it has a strengthening and a peaceful effect. And that's the goal. I wish that for each one of us this morning, this evening. <clears throat> Um, Jesus, our Passover, I'm going to, this evening I'd just like to take a little bit of a meditation about the original Passover and then how Jesus took that last Passover that he celebrated and how he transferred it into the Lord's Supper. How he initiated the new covenant. And I have... A lot of a lack of knowledge, but I'll take the scriptures, we'll look at a number of things, and we'll see what the Lord has for us. Let's just pause for a word of prayer. Lord, we are grateful tonight that you are here and that you are interested in what happens here. Your desire is to really to bless us tonight, and we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the blood. Thank you for the peace and the forgiveness and the pardon and the strength and the power that comes from being connected to you. It's what you have done for us, Lord, that we have the ability to be changed in our hearts and have the, uh, have the, the vision and the perspective and the peace to live and serve you and others. So I pray, Lord, you would direct us this evening and strengthen our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> you can turn to Exodus chapter 12 for the first scripture passage where we'll actually look at the original Passover. So, like I said, we want to look at how the Lord's Supper was initiated and how it supersedes the Jewish Passover feast. Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, and a little bit of 3. And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. 
it shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb. I'm going to just start up there. And then he goes on and he describes how they're to do it. And I'm going to drop down to verse 21, where we're actually have, where Moses gives it to the children of Israel. And this is the passage we're going to read for how they're called to do that. 21. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said unto them, draw out and take you a lamb according to your families and kill the Passover. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to smite the Egyptians. And when he seeth the blood upon the lintel and upon the two side posts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not suffer the destroyer to come in unto your houses to smite you. And ye shall observe this thing for an ordinance to thee and to thy sons forever. And it shall come to pass that when ye come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as he hath promised, that ye shall keep this service. And it shall come to pass when your children shall say unto you, What mean ye by this service that ye shall say? It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he smote the Egyptians and delivered our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. And the children of Israel went away and did as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And it came to pass that at midnight the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne, unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians. And there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where there was not one dead. I'll just stop there. Just meditate on the phenomenal thing that happened there. Not a house in which there was not one dead, except for the blood of the lamb. That, just think of the reality of that a while, and you'll just, just let that settle in. Then I like to read, you can turn to Numbers chapter 9, and I like to read where they observed, observed the first, the first uh, annual observance of the Passover. Numbers 9, starting at verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness of Sinai in the first month of the second year that they were come out of the land of Egypt, saying, Let the children of Egypt, uh, children of Israel, also keep the Passover at his appointed season. In the fourteenth day of this month, at even, ye shall keep it at its appointed season. According to all the rites of it, and according to all the ceremonies thereof, shall ye keep it. And Moses spake unto the children of Israel that, they should keep the Passover, and they kept the Passover on the fourteenth day of the first month at even in the wilderness of Sinai 
according to all that the Lord commanded Moses, so did the children of Israel. So that's the Passover, how it was first time it was done, and then the annual observance. And the Passover was basically the most ancient of all the Jewish fast, or not fast, <laughs> celebrations, their, uh, their rites, their feast, what I meant to say. And it was an annual memorial of the mighty deliverance that God performed to them as a people. They were the chosen people of God, because God fought for Israel. God knows that people tend to forget, and he did not want them to forget who he was. He was the Lord of hosts. He could bring the mightiest nation of the world to its knees. He could get into the household of everybody of the mightiest nation and the mightiest king, and he could have an effect on them. That was the Lord. God did not want the children of Israel, to forget who he was. He can do that. He did that. And he is your God. And God also did not want them to forget who they were. They were God's chosen people. They're the one who God fought for. So that was the Passover, the major event in the lives of the Jews. By the time Jesus had come, of course, the Jews had, let's, let's say Maui, they had some, a few ups and downs, okay. <laughs> but Jesus comes on the scene, and by that time, with about 1,500 years of the observance of the Passover, I did not check uh, exactly where we're at, but somewhere around there. And when Jesus was 12 years old, he went with his parents to the Passover, and I think that was probably his first time. And he went to Jerusalem to observe the Passover, but it was their custom. They went yearly, and he went with them when he was 12. Which um, likely then that Jesus probably went every year after that. It was the custom of the Jews, so we could assume, it doesn't say so, we can assume that Jesus went the next 20 years. Very solid tradition and value in Jewish life. And it was very meaningful to every devout and pious Jew. Now, I am sure it was a, just a ritual. It had little meaning to many people, but for those people who were, who, who, um, who feared God, it was a meaningful and purposeful ceremony. And they could say to their children, this is why we do it. The Passover, the memorial of deliverance. Okay. Now let's fast forward to Jesus. Ministry. You can turn to John chapter 6. Jesus comes on the scene and changes are happening. It's not going to stay the same. Um, Jesus is now speaking to the Jews. You can turn to 6 uh, verse 47. We're going to start reading there in chapter 6 of John. Um, Jesus is now talking to these Jews, these chosen people, those people who have kept the Passover and they are still keeping the Passover for 1,500 years. And he is presenting to them, 
He is introducing to them. He is standing to them that there are changes coming. Because you had John the Baptist coming, and he said there is somebody coming. And you had Jesus then coming. And Jesus, with his teaching and with his miracles, it was something they couldn't ignore. Lord Jesus was here. Change is here. Something new is here. And the Jews were faced with a momentous decision. Are we going to keep life as usual? Or are we going to accept a change? But two things. First of all, tradition is very hard to break. And number two, this supposed Messiah did not fit their carnal expectations of who a Messiah was, was going to be. So after Jesus fed 5,000 people um, just before this passage here, he the next day, I think it's the next day, he got into this discussion or this debate with them. So we're going to read here, starting at verse 47. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus is talking to the Jews, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. He's talking about the bread Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give his flesh to eat? And Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at that last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and as I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Jesus is telling these Jews who are faced with a decision what to do with Jesus. And he told them, except the man eat my flesh and drink my blood, he has no life in him. Now, what does that mean? Now, I know I heard it preached already. I'm going to tell you what I understand it means. So maybe it's different than what you, but Jesus meant it spiritually, obviously, (laughs) Not made it like the Catholic do, where you change the bread turns into his body, and where the the wine, the cup, which you actually eventually took away from the common people, actually turns into his blood. That's, that's not what he meant. Eating his flesh to these Jews meant accepting his incarnation. Jesus did come down from heaven. He is the bread that came down from heaven, as he told them. And he was the Son of God. He became flesh. He became God in flesh. 
God, the uncreated God, the eternal God, the one who spoke the world in existence, hovered over the waters and created everything, animals, man, the whole thing, that God was standing right in front of them. He was God in human flesh, right in front of those Jews. He was a man right in front of them. They must accept that. God is a living person. That is eating his flesh. So when he says, I will give my flesh, means he will give his body. So they needed to accept that. And drinking his blood means they need to accept that blood atonement for their sins. Up until now, they had relied on that sacrificial system. The blood of bulls and goats and animals of all kinds. They have they a the sacrificial system. And to make atonement. But soon Jesus was going to die. He was going to shed his blood for their sins. Which is the fulfillment of the entire sacrificial system. So this spotless Lamb of God was going to shed his blood for the forgiveness of all the sins of the world. We sang, some of the songs that we sang tonight were of that. So he told them, if you will not eat my flesh, if you will not accept me as the incarnate son of God and drink my blood, believe in my shed blood for your forgiveness, you will have no life in you. So he said, whoever eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. See, there is the whole, that whole salvation, Lord Jesus dwelling in his people. So that's what they were faced with there as he is preparing them for some changes. And we need to do, you need to do with me like you do to physical bread. You need to accept it. You need to take it in and you need to make it a part of yourself. You need to appropriate it. So that's to the Jews that were there at that crossroads as they are trying to, they strove among themselves, trying to understand it, Jesus told them, this is what you do. If you do not do this, you will have no life. But if you do this, you will never die. That's as clear as day, clear as it can be. That's still how we get right with God today. Accepting that incarnation, God became flesh, gave his body, died on the cross, shed his blood. For our forgiveness. And if you accept that, you will be forgiven. And if you do not, you are in your sin and there will be no life in you. So, that's how we get right with God today. Well, we need to go on in Jesus' ministry. We need to go on to the Last Supper if we look at the transition. This is part of the transition. I want to bring this out because this is part of where he was bringing the Jews to. But he's going to go further here.
um, the last day before Jesus was killed, it was time for the annual Passover for the 1500th and first time. I don't know, somewhere around there. The Jews were going to observe the memorial of their deliverance of their last night in Egypt. So you can turn with me to Luke chapter 22. And they're going to get some things ready. Luke chapter 22, verse 8, starting at verse 8. And he, Jesus, sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us to pass over that we may eat. And they said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? And he said unto them, Behold, when ye are entered into the city, there shall come a man, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. And you shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. And they went and found as he said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. This is Jesus' last Passover. Question that I have for you to think a little bit about. Since Jesus, Jesus knew there was a place ready for him, why didn't he send Peter and John directly to the place? When they asked him, well, where shall we get it ready? He said, well, go to 320 Hyssop Drive and there's the place. But he didn't. Why not? It's a little bit of speculation here, but... Matthew's account, he says, go into the city to such and such a man saying, say, and say unto him, the master saith, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at thy house with my disciples. He needed to keep this Passover and he needed to keep it uninterrupted so that he could have the time that he needed to initiate the new covenant, the, the symbols that we have here, the memorials, and have that special time with his disciples. He, that whole thing of John from 13 on to 17, all that teaching, that, well, I see that question and answer period that he had with his disciples. You know, I heard yesterday, I think it might, no, yeah, there's somebody here, I believe that. I asked him what they liked best about yesterday, and he said the question and answer time of the youth inspiration. And there, Jesus needed to have this special time with his disciples. Then he had the high priestly prayer. What could have disrupted it? Anybody have any idea? Judas. Judas had already gone to the chief priest and they said, and Judas promised and sought opportunity to betray him, Jesus, unto them in the absence of the multitude. So a little bit of conjecture here. But Jesus kept the place secret because he told the disciples to go into the city and meet the man, follow him. And they did that and they never came back. They came back when everything was ready. And then all the disciples, Jesus went there and there was no time. But Judas was ready, was ripe. And he did uh, within 
hours of that time, he did go out. So he was ready, but they didn't know. And so Jesus had the final Passover with his disciples uninterrupted, at least from the soldiers. And now I want to just say this was a life, a a world-changing meeting. You know, we heard there are such events, you know, meetings or events that completely change the world permanently. And I told uh, yesterday at the Youth Inspiration about that one meeting in January 21st in 1525, there was a meeting. And a winter night in Switzerland that has an impact on us today. That one night and what those men did still majorly, completely majorly had changed our lives in that one event. But here is that that is for us and for a people. But this is many, many, many times more life-changing, this meeting. this What happened this night is, is it just eternally changed the course of history. It's uh, culminated from many other events. And, um, and I just want to just bring it up that all of our decisions and our actions have some impact. Most of them have small impacts. So that you add them up, they have bigger impacts. But every once in a while, we have a decision or something we do that is majorly changes the course of us, our descendants, and many other people. It, 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 it can have that impact. But this night, this meeting in history was eternally significant. The disciples thought they were coming to a Passover. That's what they thought. I don't think they had any idea what was going to happen that night. That would be the last divinely sanctioned Passover in history. That's what it was. Never, ever again will God sanction, divinely sanction anyone to keep the Passover. Because The old covenant was done and a new covenant was initiated that night. Of course, it culminated as he went on into the cross and the death and also the resurrection and all that. But it it happened here at that meeting. Uh, But the disciples had no idea that was that. They didn't know that from now on there would be a new memorial that God's people would observe. So the Old Testament, the Old Covenant was being set aside and the New Covenant was in the process of being established. See, the Old Covenant, which was of Israel as God's chosen people, was being superseded by a New Covenant, which is is the covenant of the Spirit, not one of laws and rituals, but like Jesus said, it's one of spirit and truth. It's a... Um, it's a covenant for all people. So Jesus was commemorating the Passover for the last time as a way to bring it to an end. As people do today when they stay up till midnight to watch an old year go out and a new year come in. I don't know why you have to do that. It happens without it. But some people do that. 
But Jesus was there and they, they, he was there and he purposefully ended the old and purposely brought in the new. Just like an old year and a new year. <clears throat> when the old is gone, it's gone. And when the new is here, it is here. Jesus took that old meal of remembrance and transformed it into a new remembrance. I never participated in a reenactment of the Passover. I may not know if anybody here has done. I've not done a lot of study. So I'm not, I can't give lots of details exactly how these happened. I think there's some who could do it better. But at some point in the celebration of this Passover, Jesus took a cup from the meal and took bread from the meal and he made a transformation when he said, this cup is my blood and this bread is my body. This is something new. And he said, this you shall do in remembrance of me. Jesus did that that night. And now... When we look at the redemptive point in history, we do not look back at a lamb that was slain and the blood that was put around a doorpost and the lintels. We don't look back in redemptive history when God delivered us from slavery from Egypt. We don't look back at that. Now we look back at a life that was lived and a light that was given, the bread, and the blood that was shed, and uh, and the forgiveness that was wrought through that event of history. That's what we look back to now. And so, so we don't look back at the Lamb. We look back at the cross. We look back at the Son of God on that cross. And so the Lord Jesus Christ... That night transformed the Passover into what we call communion or the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Table. It's the memorial that Christ initiated. It's a memorial for us to remember what he did. Not the Passover. And ever since that, the church has commemorated Christ's death and she will until he comes again. And Jesus did that with his disciples. He ended 1,500 years of Passover celebration. And he brought in a new memorial feast. And I'm just going to read a little bit here. Matthew 26, we're going to probably read a variation of it tonight. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And Luke adds that which was given for you, this do in remembrance of me. And that's how when Jesus said they must accept him as the incarnate son of God, God in human flesh, that body that was given, that perfect sinless body. He said this body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. <clears throat> It was offered up. So we get the benefit of that sinless and victorious life when he gave it up to die. 
So that bread became an emblem, a symbol of his body. We remember that body when we take the bread. Jesus said, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave thanks and gave it to them and said, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament. That would be the New Covenant. Which is shed for many for the remission of sin. And he said, For I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out in the Mount of Olives. And then he went on to Gethsemane, and then he went on to the cross, and he went on to victory. Now, everyone who believes, everyone who recognizes that and confesses that, confesses their own sinful need of a Savior and repents of their sins and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ in that way, like Jesus said, he will live forever. He that believeth on me shall live by me. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that if a man eat thereof and not die. And that's for the Jew, the Gentile, the slave, the free, the male, the female, the ever, any class, nobody, every person. It's not for the Jews. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now... No condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Those who are truly born again and walking in that spirit. So Jesus knows that we are, we tend to be forgetful. And our children can ask, why do you do this? And we can say that God became a man and sacrificed his body. And he shed his blood to forgive us of our sins and to deliver us from the bondage of the devil. And we commemorate his mighty acts and his love and his deliverance by this service. Service is a memorial of our Lord Jesus and what he did for us. God did not tell us to do it annually. They were very specific. He said, at this Month and on this day in the evening, do this. It's very, very specific. He did not tell us exactly how often or when. He just said, do it. He said, do it. Do it. Do this. And he said, as often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me. That's pretty well what we have. We're told to do this, and as often as we do it, we are to remember him. That's what it is. That's what it is. Remember what he died, rem- done. Remember his suffering. Remember his death. Remember his re- redemption that he wrought for us. And remember what it's done for us. And to be an encouragement to go out and, and to live it and to share it. And as often as you do it, you do show or proclaim the Lord's death until he come again. I encourage you tonight is let's go ahead and let's do it. And let's do it again. And let's do it again. And let's do it again. Until he comes. It's precious for every devout Jew, for every God-fearing Jew, the Passover was precious. For every 
spiritual, godly son, person of God, child of God, this is special. This is precious. It's meaningful. Let's do it and live in the reality of it. So may God bless you. A few individuals, I guess, who know their assignment. Good evening. It's a blessing to be here and be reminded again. It's a memorial. It's not a, it's not a sacrament in that it does something for you to save your soul, but it's a joyful memorial. How can we be joyful about Jesus' crucifixion? It seems like such an oxymoronic situation. I never watched the crucifixion, I hope, crucifixion and I hope I never do. But uh, somehow there's indescribable joy mixed together. Um, we have <clears throat> a song. We sing a song about love and grief flowing mingled down from Christ. Yeah, and it's a bit of how our response is back to Him, and the awfulness of the payment for sin. I think it should shake us up a bit. That's what God thinks about sin. Christ said it is finished. His salvation plan worked. If you'd like, you may turn to John 13, or just listen along, fine too. The first four verses of the chapter, John 13, are a little preamble, the preliminary opening statement. One big long sentence, you're trying to diagram that one in English class. But I'll read uh, verses 1 to 17. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Jesus Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and guarded himself and poureth, and he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore he said, Therefore said he, Ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was sat down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? We have no clue. (laughs) They're totally befuddled. Verse 13, Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord, 
neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If ye know these things, happy are ye if you if ye do them. So feet washing, as we're doing it this evening, was not commanded or given as a thing to do like commemoration of Christ's death and suffering. And in 1 Corinthians 11, it was brought up earlier this, uh, this evening, feet washing isn't mentioned that I'm aware of anywhere else in the scripture except in the, in, at the Passover meal. <clears throat> uh, but I'm really glad that we do it. It's a, it's a great symbol. Uh, symbols are, are useful. We use symbolism throughout our lives in a lot of different ways. And symbolism is, is really useful. And the symbolism that Jesus was using here, I think, meant more to the disciples than what I can comprehend. Because feet washing isn't really a custom in America. <clears throat> um, but as I understand, in, in biblical times, feet washing was very common. Um, and it was the, the, the slave or the house servant that would do it. And it, um, but this was a, a, a whole separate type of, uh, of uh, feet washing. I don't think they usually waited till after you ate to wash your feet when you came in as a guest. Because Jesus told Simon the Pharisee that mm, you didn't have feet washing when I got here. Yeah, it was kind of a, you know, impolite of you, wasn't it? Uh, when the woman came and washed his feet with her tears. Um, so Jesus wasn't expecting Simon to get, her, get the feet washing out afterwards. So this is something totally different. And uh, Jesus told Peter that, you don't understand this now, but you, you'll understand it later. Then he asked him, do you understand what I did to you? <laughs> well, no, we have no clue. This is totally weird. Uh, we have no idea what's going on. Why, why you would wash our feet after supper, for one thing. And why you would do it for another thing. <clears throat> and so Jesus explains it to them. <clears throat> he says, you call me master. You call me Lord. And that's right. I'm your master and Lord. But I just washed your feet. I just did a, a, a household chore that... The hierarchy of household chores is, is, is pretty low. That's how I understand it anyway. Like I said, I'm not familiar with the culture. And I did that on purpose so you would be astonished, <laughs> befuddled. That you, it would shake you up, so, so make you curious. I did it to show you that you're the master... Uh, can do a lowly job of service to his his servants, his disciples. So how much easier, how much more logical would it be if you would do it to each other? I'm suspicious of, we're in the conjecture this evening, right? So uh, I'm, I'm a little suspicious that he brought this feet washing ceremony in here to counteract their argument along the way about who would be the greatest. Um, And the same evening. And this bunch of disciples uh, had some relationship issues um, that I think the grace of God has probably helped us to overcome. Um, Hopefully. (laughs) Uh, But 
I've never heard in this congregation, or anywhere else actually, um, people arguing at church, you know, I'm going to be in charge next Sunday. No, no, you're going to be, no, I'm going to be in charge. It's my turn. I'm the boss now. You do what I tell you this time. May we think that way sometimes. We're going to find out next Wednesday evening. Uh, but that's what these disciples were doing. These were grown up, grown up men, I mean, at least, you know, teenagers, at least. I don't know how grown up they were, but they were, um, you know, they were some were fishermen. They had an occupation. So relationships, how we interact with each other. Uh, is, is, is really hard, hard to get right because we all have this human nature that wants things done our way. I mean, we want our coffee just right. We want as much cream and sugar as we usually like it. And um, even in little details, we, we, like it, we like things the way we like them. Um, and especially we don't like to be ignored or put down or slighted or embarrassed or made fun of. But sometimes we feel those things in groups like this. So what should we do? What should I do if I feel I have a felt need of I feel like someone doesn't really appreciate my contribution to a situation? Maybe I stayed up late some night and prepared something or did something and they didn't even use it. What I should do in that situation is look for someone's feet to wash. Uh, figuratively, I suppose. That's um, so what Jesus was teaching here. You disciples, you're trying to vie for the highest position. You're wanting to do things your way. What you should really be doing is seeing where you can be helpful the most. Where, how can you be the most helpful in whatever situation you're in at the time? <clears throat> so that's that is my desire and I hope we can all have that desire um, that Daniel talked this morning about what would Jesus do um, that's, a good, that's a good thought but it might be a little different than what he wants you to do I'm not sure he wants his children to be chasing people out with whips and, uh, and Jesus was Jesus so I'm not sure we can follow all his his uh, uh, a language, uh, perhaps, <laughs> to the Pharisees. That's not a really good lesson for us, how we should relate to those that don't agree with us. Uh, but Jesus does have a character that he wants each of us to, to put on and to practice. And one of the main features of that character is not I, but Christ. So let us have... Um, that attitude day by day is in our interactions with each other and with those around us. Uh, and never be ashamed or embarrassed or hesitant in doing whatever clean up little job. Um, take a disappointment. Uh, not be recognized for what you worked, worked, worked so hard for. See, God, God knows what not knows all those things. And the praise of men isn't really worth much anyway. I don't always believe that. It's hard to believe that. But I think that's the truth. 
So let us uh, continue to grow together. I appreciate being able to do this together with you all this evening.